0: Almighty and everlasting God, who hast sent thy Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, to take upon him our flesh and to suffer death upon the cross, that all humankind should follow the example
1: of his great humility, mercifully grant that we may both follow the example of his patience and also be made partakers of his resurrection, through the same thy Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, one God, world without end, amen. As you can almost certainly tell from the beautiful and archaic language, and yes, being old myself, I love the old one. As you can tell from that language, this was the collect, or the prayer of the day for Palm Sunday for decades and decades, and certainly, when I was a youngster in Sunday school. This collect really reflects on our experiences and services today as we reflect both on the mystery of the incarnation and the humility of suffering. There is both joy and sorrow today, particularly as we observe what is now called the Sunday of the Passion. As I wrote to many of you earlier this week, Again, when I was a kid, Palm Sunday was Palm Sunday, loud music, the kid who played his trumpet as a junior in high school in the band came and played the trumpet, and everyone was excited for the anticipation of Easter, and the church was full of palms, and at the end, everybody went out to a noisy post. Well, things have changed. (laughs) And this is now called the Sunday of the Passion. So, we have seen this pattern repeated before, and I have talked with you about it before. An occasion of great joy
0: is followed by an occasion of great testing or suffering. Remember this pattern? After Jesus' baptism, a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And then immediately, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he experiences 40 days of hunger and temptation remember this pattern
1: Jesus leaves the wilderness and comes back home to Nazareth and everybody is eager to see him and everyone marvels about the teaching which has preceded him that is until Jesus mentions how mercy and healing have been extended to people who are not part of the in group who were not among the children of Abraham. And the joy and amazement of the congregation is transformed into hostility and rage, such that they attempt to throw Jesus off of life. I would say these folks took their sermons real seriously. Remember the path. In the Transfiguration, on the mountain, Jesus' face becomes an indescribable father, as the Greek says, and his garments whiter than any fuller could bleach that, as the old King James Version said. And the disciples behold Jesus in conversation with Moses and Elijah. But Moses and Elijah are speaking with Jesus about his exodus, which literally means hodos, his way, ex-out, the way out. Yes, the exodus. In other words, his suffering and passion in Jerusalem. And even more immediately, On the next day, following the transfiguration, when the disciples and Jesus come down from the mountain, a man in the crowd that was waiting for them shouts, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He is my only child. And then we hear an account of wrenching human suffering, to which Jesus does, in fact, respond with healing. Richard Rohr, Father Richard Rohr, my favorite living Franciscan, says of the Transfiguration. In this story of the Transfiguration, Jesus is actually preparing his disciples for the cross. It's going to come, so be ready, he seems to say. Jesus knows that the only thing that will transfigure them, and the same goes for us too, is suffering. You see, suffering, Father Moore says, has the strange and marvelous ability to pull us into oneness. Maybe you've seen it happen in your family, at the funeral of a loved one, or in some other communal tragedy. Many of us, Father Moore says, felt it in the earliest days of the pandemic, before our dualistic politics got in the way, there was a sense that we were all in this suffering and tribulation together. Father Moore says, until we find communal meaning and significance in the suffering of all of our lives,
0: for all of us. We will continue to retreat into our individual, small worlds in our misguided quest for personal safety and sanity. A crucified God is the dramatic symbol of the one suffering that God enters into with us, not just for us, as we were mostly taught to think,
1: over and over again but in solidarity with us the good news is that we do not have that suffering alone in fact we could not hold it alone so after the transfiguration jesus begins the rest of the journey towards jerusalem and he tells his disciples very frankly let these words sink into your ears the son of man is going to be betrayed in the human hands. But, Luke tells us, the disciples don't understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask about it. So complete was
0: the disciples' misunderstanding, in fact, that in the very next paragraph, Luke tells us that
1: the disciples fell into an argument among themselves as to which one was the greatest. I've used the analogy before, it's like I had called my friends, my closest friends, together for dinner and said, you know, I'm so glad we're all together. I need to share this with you. I probably will be starting a course of three months of chemotherapy next week. And one of my friends said, oh, does that mean we're not going to Disneyland in June? We've got a real narcissistic moment here with the disciples. So, what happens? Jesus, knowing their thoughts, takes a little child. A little child. And the Greek is little child. Kind of like Luke Edward if you were here. A toddler, an around. Takes a little child. Puts that little child by his side and says to them, Whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For the least among you.
0: And then on Palm Sunday as well, there is this magnificent entry as
1: Jesus approaches the eastern gate of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, and a
0: multitude of his disciples Luke tells us, are saying, blessed is the King
1: who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a pep rally. It's a demonstration. It's a celebration. Oftentimes I heard it said, the same voices that were crying Hosanna on Palm Sunday were crying crucify him on Good Friday. I don't think so. I have no evidence to back up my claim in either way, but I don't think so. I think there was glorious hope in the hearts of that assembled multitude on Palm Sunday because they thought the kingdom of heaven was drawing near. And indeed, it was, but it was not the kingdom they expected. In sermons from 1545, Martin Luther wrote about this. Not surprisingly, Luther wrote about a lot of things. And as I have said to you before, not everything that Luther wrote is anything we would ever repeat here. In fact, churches that bear his name as namesakes have repudiated chunks of what he wrote. So our founder has speed of light. But he did write some good things. He said, See how Christ the King abandons possessions, body, and life, and learn, all of you learn, that Christ's kingdom is not of this world. To enjoy, this is so countercultural, Waltenberg has to say, to enjoy the Christian faith here on earth does not mean to have all things and lack nothing. Look at your king, the Lord Jesus. How does he bear? Of what does he boast? What comfort has he in life? How highly is he praised? Is it not true that he has nothing but suffering and scorn and disdain and dies in shame? One little thing Christ has with which to rule, and that is his testimony to the truth, the whole gospel. Through this, through this truth, Christ pours the Holy Spirit, which we need so desperately. We always have, but we need it so desperately now. Through this, Christ pours the Holy Spirit into the hearts of humankind and bestows the hope of eternal life. But all these things remain in faith and in the Word. They are not seen. They are not handled. They exist in hope then Luther says, those who know the way of this king and his kingdom willingly bear the cross, for they not only know that Christ, the eternal king, fared in the same way, and thus are willing themselves and ready to suffer, because servants should not bear better than their Lord. But also they take comfort, we take comfort, in the knowledge that the life hereafter is full of joy and splendor, even though suffering must be endured on number. That makes Christians joyful, even in the midst of sorrows and trials. Because, of course, we're not talking about sorrows and trials that can be avoided. We're not people staying in abusive, exploitative relationships for decades. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what we're talking about. It is rather the cost of discipleship everything that it costs us to bear the name of Jesus. So remember, it happens over and over again. An occasion of great joy, like the entry into Jerusalem, is followed by great suffering. We have heard of the Passion. But the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end there. The words of our colleague for Palm Sunday remind us, because we are partakers in his suffering, we shall also be partakers in his resurrection. We shall also be partakers in his resurrection. Whereupon all who claim his name, you, me, everyone on the planet, and those of goodwill who have never heard the Whereupon all must say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna.